That is so funny. Imagine walking into a meeting and being like, I know I've got these four issues and then Jess coming at you and being like, actually, you've got 15 others. You need to fix all these too. <laughs> That's what you did to us. <laughs> I felt like I was railroaded the first time I met her. It was just like, holy fuck, it's what have so I done? funny. Hello and welcome to the Pending Approval Podcast, a talk show highlighting the ups, the downs and the complete headfuck moments of the business world. I'm your host for the show, Glenda Wynyard. Producer G is here with me again. Hi, G. As always, I'm here in the studio. And we've got Super Cooper in the studio with us today. We've kicked off Pat. Pat's dead to us now. It's yeah, fine. he's gone. He's been LGA locked down. It's all right. He'll 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 edit this and feel... Feel the, what's it called? FOMO. That's what he'll feel. Yeah, he will actually. Did you just have to think about what that meant? Yes, sort of. Maybe I'm getting a bit old. I thought so. I I don't know. Look, moving right along, G, I'm quite excited about today. I think I'm going to get a lot out of our guest. That's good. Yeah, she's pretty cool with me. (laughs) Pretty cool with you, not with anyone else. Well, she knows that I'm the most (laughs) un-PC person. You are. I know, and I can be a bit embarrassing, but you know, I talk about these head fuck moments with people and being in business. But the reality is that one of the biggest head fuck moments can be dealing with staff. And you know, like I think it, maybe it's not a head fuck moment, but it's also like kind of trying to figure out how to deal with people on an everyday basis or deal with their personality types and that kind of thing. That can be really difficult. So you know. Let's just keep play it down a little bit, you oh, know. You're such a millennial. We love Gotta our people. Got to be in touch with your emotions. I'm a creative. What do you expect? Oh, my God. Anyway, Jess Weiss is the Managing Consultant of Human Tribe, and Jess is our guest today. Human Tribe is a consulting and training company built around improving the performance of a business by enhancing the performance of its people. People are so important to any business, but even more so when you work in a creative industry like ours that is reliant on people because we're essentially selling what is essentially going on in their brains, really. Like if you think about it, that's what we do. That is so right, G. Hello, Jess. Welcome to Pending Approval. Good morning. And can I just say straight off the bat, Pat, I'm going to have a chat with Glenda offline that it's not okay to fire you over a podcast. So don't (laughs) worry, Pat, I've got you back. That's so you, Jess. How are you coping with lockdown? I'm good. I'm all right. I've, um, I think I've come to terms with the fact that you just got to take it one day at a time. And if we, if we get out for Christmas, I'll be happy. And um, it just kind of is what it is. I did lockdown last year with a newborn. It's very different this time around with a toddler. But it is what it is and we just got to do what we can, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm so pleased I don't have young children, although I'm coping with a 25-year-old lawyer in my home. That's bad enough. At least mine has naps, so I get breaks in between. Yeah, mine doesn't, and she's smarter than me. <laughs> so she so she gives me such a hard time. It's not, it's not good. It's actually not good. Look, Jess, we always start the show with a background on our guest. Can you give us a little bit about yourself and your career? Yeah, definitely. So um, I've got an interesting, I guess, path into where I am today. So my background is actually in the fitness industry. So I'm a personal trainer by trade. Look at you go, Jess. Are you doing step timber? No, I'm not. And to be honest, actually, the other day I realized I probably do about 100 steps a day. Oh, yeah. I'm in that too. I feel you. Mm, yeah. So could definitely be upping that. So, um, so yeah, backgrounds in the fitness industry, a personal trainer, 
Um, I ran my own business for a while and then I started working um, for an organization that subcontracted PTs into Anytime Fitness Gyms. And I worked there for a while and I stepped into a management role and I was managing multiple trainers across multiple locations. And I got to the point that on a Sunday afternoon, I was the most horrible person to be around. And it took me a while to realize what was happening because I'd always loved my job in the past. I'd never not loved what I was doing. It took me a while to realize. And then I realized that I just didn't have the passion for what I was doing anymore. And I reflected on the parts of my job that I loved and it was working with my trainers and it was mentoring them and onboarding them and coaching them and running team meetings and helping them be the best that they could be. And I realized that my reach when I was working with them was amplified. So instead of having 10 clients that I was impacting, I was impacting eight trainers who were all impacting 10 clients and I was making so much more of a difference. So I quit that job with no idea what I was going to do, which a lot of people thought that I was crazy, but I just felt like I couldn't figure out where I was meant to be when I stayed where I was. So I went to an expo. Have either of you heard of Business Chicks? Yes. Yeah. I went to a Business Chicks expo called Nine to Thrive. and I'd actually never heard of Business Chicks before and it must have come up as like an Instagram ad. Big brother is always watching, I guess. So maybe they, maybe Google algorithm just knew what I needed. Anyway, so I went along to this expo. I, I enlisted my best friend to come with me and I just hoped to look for some, find some inspiration. And I was walking along and there was this stand that said, what's your EQ? And we were like, oh, that's really cool. Let's go do that. So you had to fill in a form and then you sat down and had a debrief with someone. Lo and behold, I sat down with Nick, who was the founder of Human Tribe. And we had a chat and she said, tell me about what you do. And I was like, I actually finished up my job yesterday. Don't know what I want to do. Something around coaching. This is what I love. Anyway, we had a really good chat. And at the end of the conversation, she said, I've got a job for you. That is so cool. Yeah. And the really great thing about it was she didn't know that she was looking for someone. And I had no idea that the person I was chatting to ran exactly the business that I was dreaming to be in and it just lined up so well and Nick always says I wasn't in the right space for you we didn't have the money for you we weren't big enough for you but she said I just felt like we had to take you on and it was definitely a turning point of my life so that was um just obviously meant to be that's awesome I truly do believe that everything happens for a reason like you were supposed to be there Mm -hmm. to talk to her and really like launch your career into where you are now that's so cool yeah so that was about oh four years ago maybe and Nick took me under her wing and she's she's the most brilliant mentor and friend and and manager and she took me under her wing and taught me everything that she knew and um in 2019 I took over human tribe and it's um it's become my baby and I still I still work with Nick on a mentor basis I'm a part of a accountability circle that she runs for business women and um yeah here I am today good on you Jess I always believe that sharing my own story helps other people in business. Now, I reached out to you in desperation for a particular reason um, that I had in our business at the time. It was around the way some of our team members were talking to each other, and it was quite difficult, Mm. you know, for me to actually understand what was going wrong, but also for the other people involved as to what was happening. So you sort of came in like this whirlwind and I believed everything that you have contributed to our agency has really helped us from a a cultural perspective as well. So it's been a tremendous support to me, but also to my staff. 
And I think that in the broader management team as well, which is is pretty cool. So I want to share with others what it is that you actually do, because dealing with people, particularly dealing with their emotions and their career path and all those sorts of things that come into play, can be a really difficult piece of business to navigate. Yeah. What is it that you actually do? Yeah, so the simplest way I describe this, I say I specialize in human performance in the workplace, but I basically just say think of anything to do with people within an organization, whether that's self-awareness or management capability or team cohesiveness or role clarity or you know purpose, just anything to do with people, and that's the area that I play in. And if I think about the work that we've done with your team, Glenda, we've touched on a couple of those different areas, whether it be self-awareness work that we've done with the leadership team, whether that be the role clarity that we've done with with everyone across your organisation, that's a, a nice rhythm that we're in now. Um, and then touching on the te- team cohesiveness stuff, which um, we started a little bit of and then um, life got busy. So we've still got that in the pipeline as well. Life got busy. COVID happened, Jess. COVID, happened. COVID, COVID struck us like no other. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Miss Rona is not nice. She's not a nice person to deal with. (laughs) But Jess, you know, like, obviously, you know why we reached out to you and we've just told our listeners why we reached out to you. And can I just say, like, it's been absolutely invaluable to have you as a part of our team. But I want to know also, like, why do most companies come to you and how do they get in touch with you to talk about their people and hear about how they can help support that journey? Yeah, so it happens in a couple of different ways. So sometimes it's like what Glenda was talking about. It's we've got some issues, whether that be personality clashes or whether that be people just not showing up at their best or some struggles with, you know, certain people within their roles. So sometimes it's we've got this problem. We don't quite know what the problem is or what the solution is. We just know something's not right. And other times it's, We're good, but we feel like we could be better. There's no specific issue, but we could be better in this area. We could be better in that area. We've got a really good team, but we could be communicating with each other better. We could be achieving better results. We could have, you know, more productive conversations amongst the team, or we've got a bunch of high performers, but we know that they could be doing more or could be doing better. So it kind of sits somewhere along the line of we've got some issues to fix or we're not bad, but we could be better. Mm, and how do you go about that, like identifying if someone said to you, we don't really know what's wrong, but we know that something is wrong. How do you kind of fit yourself into the team and identify what those problems could be and how they could fix them? Yes, it's a really good question. And and there's no there's no one way that we go about it. You know, sometimes it's an employee engagement survey. So I was working with a team quite recently. We've just run their Q12, Gallup Q12 um, employee engagement survey. They came to us and said, again, we're not bad, but we could be better, but we don't actually know where we should improve. So we decided to do that as a starting point because it gave us a line in the sands and it gave us some really good information. And it also meant that we weren't guessing at what the team needed, but we were actually asking them so that we could put stuff in place that was directly talking with what they wanted. Other times it's... We're not quite sure. It's let's just start with the leadership team and let's see if there's some room we can move, you know, some room to move there. Um, I've got a client that we're working with at the moment that we're doing interviews with all of their 
35 staff because the leadership team came and said, we think we've got these issues. And we went, great. We think you've got more than that. Let's talk with everyone. Let's get all the information so we can get a more appropriate solution. So it, it really depends. There's definitely no one size fits all. That is so funny. Imagine walking into a meeting and being like, I know I've got these four issues. And then Jess coming at you and being like, actually, you've got 15 others. You need to fix all these two. <laughs> That's what you did to us. <laughs> I felt like I was railroaded the first time I met her. It was just like, holy fuck, it's what have so I done? funny. I, I can, like, obviously there's no perfect business, right? Like, I think that's the thing that I'm very quickly learning as we move, like, resolve into its own company. You actually can't please everyone, but you can do your best and try to put those processes in place to make sure that everyone's as supported as they can be. And then the individual like support that has to come out elsewhere as well. Right. But like those processes and things that we're trying to, obviously we've got training wheels on right now, but you know, that we're trying to push through. That's where I really see that value. And and when you talk about like that survey that goes out, that's such a good idea, but why doesn't that come to people who are leaders anyway? Like why would I have never thought of that? Cause I haven't to be totally honest with you, but we did a survey We did a survey and everyone came back with all of the perks that they wanted. So they wanted all the, you know, party side of things and all that sort of thing. There was nothing about the work. And I don't know if that becomes an issue. Like, how do you get around that as a a leader? Because I just sat there and I said, there's nothing about the work here. It's all about the benefits, the staff benefits. I think that's also about the questions that you ask. And I remember when we started chatting, Glenda, you had just run that survey and you were like, I've got this and I don't know what to do with it. And sometimes with asking a survey, it's about being brave and it's about asking the questions and being willing to hear what people come back with. But that's sometimes why people go for a more structured survey like the Q12 one, for example, because anything that comes back, you can go, okay, we can do something with this here, rather than potentially opening yourself up to people saying, we want this and you're going, I'd love to give that to you, but that's just not relevant yeah it's like the dangers of asking a too open-ended question Mm. because I think sometimes when you ask that open-ended question like Jess said you're opening yourself up to that kind of danger Um, whereas if you ask them directly like what do you think that we need to god I'm going to absolutely destroy this question Jess but what do you think that we need to improve at from a leadership team perspective like that's a little bit more directional and then they can be like you know, actually, we want this kind of support or we want this rather than being like, we want a boat party and we yeah. want <laughs> we, we want an, an October Halloween party, like, you know? Yeah, and it's all well and good to ask those questions. And, and I always say to people before we undertake an employee engagement survey, it's more damaging to ask and then do nothing than it is to not ask at all. So I always say, even if you don't go with any of my recommendations, even if we never work together again, I need you to commit that you will do something post-asking these questions. Because otherwise... Yes, with the truth bombs today. Yeah. (laughs) But yours is a a great example of a really good question, Georgia, because it's, it's not saying, what do you need to improve? And people say a boat party and Halloween and ping pong tables. It's what can leadership do to improve your experience of your work here? And, you know, the the Q12 survey has so much research behind the 12 questions that they asked. And the really interesting thing about it is they basically all come back to the manager and their capability. You know, the answers that we get there, and it asks some open questions as well, but the answers that you get are all things that managers can pull the levers on 
to to impact change. Okay, well, we need to take that Q12 survey offline. This this is this is definitely a thing that's <laughs> happening. Thanks for selling that to me, Jess. Okay, Jess, think about pre-lockdown. Don't think, you know, pre-COVID. Go back a couple of years now. Like when we were living in a world that was changing anyway. And the expectations amongst younger employees in particular are changing rapidly. And people like myself, I'm not quite a dinosaur, but people like myself, we struggle sometimes because we came through a different world where it was a lot more black and white. You could get fired at the drop of a hat. Employers swore at you. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a very different world that I came through versus today. And the expectations of those young people are very, very different. Looking at it from an employer's perspective, what are the some of the the challenges that they're actually facing with young employees today? Mm, and it's such a it's such a good question. And I actually loved before when you know Georgia was talking about she has feelings, and you said you're such a millennial. And it's really interesting because different generations they want different things out of the workplaces. You know, research shows that you know millennials we don't want a manager we want a coach we want a mentor we want it to be ongoing two-way conversations rather than you know looking back when you would have been coming up Glenda where it was you were told what to do and there was no questions to ask and if you didn't like it you could f off well my boss used to say just get on with the fucking job wouldn't you and that's what you did. I think I'd actually have a breakdown if you said that to me. I oh, know I loved it. Like, <laughs> I loved working with those guys. I'm not going to lie. If I didn't have like a little bit of, okay, this is what we have to do and here's how we go about it. And if you just said, just fucking do it, I'd be like, okay, I guess I'll just go and try it. We won't, we won't even get in. We won't even get into some of the things that used to happen in the agency back in those days. It was pretty good though. I'm going to have an old school podcast one day where we talk about all the tall stories. I'm off. I'm off. Because they're true. You've told me about some of them, Glenda, and I think when you were talking, I was sitting with my face in my hands going, you can't do that. You cannot do that. Yes, now you know how I feel every single day, okay? Like I am, <laughs> as as your um, co-HR person in in the team, I am the one that sits with my face and my hands going, please, dear God, don't say this or don't do this or please just shut yourself in the boardroom for a bit and then, you know, reconvene, get that out of your system and then come back out and be fine. <laughs> it's so funny. And you know what? It's about the experiences that we've had and, and props to you, Glenda, that you, you look at the way you came up and go, I'd love to do it that way, but it's just not relevant anymore. And, you know, with some of the processes we've been through, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the the SSC. Sorry, we're just laughing here. We're cracking up laughing. Yes, I can't say just shut the fuck up and get on with it. Can I? <laughs> you can say it in your head. I do all the time. I do all the time. I'm sure. But, you know, you've you've taken that on, Glenda, and you've worked out how to speak the language of your people and you allow them to come to you with what they want from their role and what their expectations of of you are and their manager are and that's allowed for those two-way conversations that the younger generation seem to be wanting and it's that shift from traditional management being all about telling to effective new age management for lack of a better word being all about asking and two-way conversations and having a coach rather than just a manager. Can I ask what would be... No, I don't want to answer it. What would be your number one recommendation to managers right now? 
So obviously we're living in we're living in COVID. People are looking for this new age management style. What's the one thing that you would tell managers who are listening to this podcast? It's such a good question. I would love to say that there's a silver bullet, but I just don't think that there is. I think, and this is going to sound really fluffy, but it's it's supporting them and being there for them and having those conversations because until you ask them what they need, you can't give it to them. And if you can't be giving them what they need to perform in their roles, then they're not going to show up at their best. And in the end, it's going to impact the organisation overall. So while there's so many things that you could be doing in making sure that, you know, they've got the right you know, materials and equipment and and training and support and structures, it's all about asking those questions because if you don't ask, then you don't know. Mm. So, Jess, you made an interesting point there about the staff and about their impact overall on the business if you don't get Mm. it right. How important are staff in defining the culture of the company? It's an interesting one because a culture exists whether it's been defined or not, okay? And it is very much led from the top but it's also carried through by who's within the organisation. So if a positive culture is led from the top, then it's more likely that a positive culture is going to be adopted by the team because we we mimic what we see, right? So if a team member sees their manager or sees their leader or someone more senior in the organisation come up to someone and go, hey, you look like you're struggling a bit. Is there anything I can help you with? Then they're going to pick up that behaviour and that language and that culture and that's then going to carry that on versus if you've got a leader that yells at their team members or, you know, Glenda tells them to fuck off or do it or you're fired or get on with your job or yells at them in the hallway, then that's going to be the culture that the team are going to see and mimic and then carry through. I haven't done that for 100 years. I and that's why to. you've got a lovely culture in your organisation. Thank you, Jess. Now, Human <laughs> Tribe came into our company when we had a problem, as I said before, And you started with the management team and then you kind of worked your way down. Is that normal? Do you always start at the top or do you sometimes come in at the bottom? Like what happens? Yeah, it's it's definitely not linear. And I think it goes back to George's really good question about when people come to you, what do you address? So sometimes it's our managers aren't effective within their roles or sometimes it's our, our team is not cohesive or we're not talking to each other well or we're not, we're not showing up appropriately for our team. And then, yeah, absolutely, we start at the top. Sometimes it's we've got these great team members, but they don't know what's expected of them and therefore they're not performing. And then we start at the bottom. So my, my view is always that if you touch people, that's going to sound really bad if you touch people at different levels, <laughs> if you come in and impact at different levels, then you're always going to get better adoption, right? Because I've gone into some organisations where they say, no, leadership team is fine, just work with our team. So we work with the team, but then because they're not supported and empowered by their managers, whether that be things like self-awareness or them just communicating to each other in the same way, then it's going to limit the impact of what those team members can do, right? Vice versa, you can upskill the leaders and give them all of the tools and the language that they need but then if they're not empowering their team to show up at their best then again it's going to minimize the impact so if you can hit at both levels or or all levels then you're always going to get a bigger pickup and it goes back to what you were just saying Glenda about the culture if you hit it at all levels it's going to impact the culture. And Jess do you find that business owners uh, think differently from people that are uh, just part of the management team? 
Like, I don't know if I've got a set answer for that because I've worked with some owners like you that are really engaged and I've worked with some that aren't engaged. And similarly, I've worked with some managers that are super engaged and some that aren't. So I think it really depends on the people because I think while while being an owner that runs the organisation that's very engaged like you, Glenda, I think you see the day-to-day and you see what needs to be changed and you see the what's good and what's not good and then you've got the drive to want to make the difference whereas sometimes I see owner-run organizations that have the view of this is my business I'm going to run it how I want I think it can come in in both ways it's really dependent on the person I would love to take that and start to talk about the SECs because I think that's a really great segue Jess first can I get you to talk a little bit about what an SSC is And Jess, I'm going to um, start this off because I thought the SSC program was a crock of shit. (laughs) When I first heard about it, I thought, oh, God, this is just PC bullshit over and above. (laughs) The millennial new (laughs) age. And you know what? You completely converted me, completely converted me. So with that sort of like little setup, let's talk about what an SSC is. I think I need to turn that into a little snippet of a testimonial. Sort of the crock of shit, but now you've won me over. I think I actually said that in a written testimonial for you. <laughs> I would love that. That would be amazing. But I did think it was a crock of shit. I did. I thought it was bullshit. I just thought this is, oh, PC crap gone crazy. Yeah. So, yes, I can definitely explain the process. And then and then I want to flip the question to you, Glenda, to, to hear what kind of changed your mind on it. So, SSC is a self-subscription commitment. And basically what it is, is it's a document to help people really clearly understand what is expected of them in their roles. Now, we do not do this as a performance management tool, okay? This is something to help build role clarity and understanding of what does it look like for me to be a high performer within my role. Now, don't get me started on, on the idea of annual performance reviews because I could rant for the rest of this this chat on annual <laughs> performance reviews because they're they're one way and it's a store and dump of you've been doing all of these things or you've been not doing not been doing all of these things. So the self-subscription commitment is very much led by the team member. Okay. So we identify what are all of the tasks that they do within their role. And then we put that into what we call KRAs, key result areas. So if you were to take everything that you do and put it into four to six key umbrella categories, what might they be? And this is all driven by the team member and, and they come up with the categories and they prioritize them. And, and sometimes, and this has happened with you, Glenda and Georgia, sometimes they put it in an order and we're sort of like, oh, that's not how I would have put it. And, and there's a conversation there and there's always so much power to come out of that conversation to hear the team member's point of view. And that's very much why we let them drive it. And then for each of those key result areas, we come up with some KPIs, some key performance indicators, and we identify what we call evidence and measures. So what's something that team member can bring along or produce to show that they're fulfilling that KPI? Now, the awesome thing about self-subscriptions, which Glenda, I think is part of the reason why you loved it so much, is once we do that initial setup, the manager sits back and it's all on the team member, right? So they come up with the KPIs that go in there and then they come back every month and they report to their manager on how they're tracking. And straight away, that means that you're hands off, but you're across everything that's happening. But also it makes accountability so easy because if they're setting the metrics that go into their um, self-subscription commitment and they come back and they're not hitting them, it is so much easier to say, 
hey, you came up with these numbers, you're not hitting them, what's happening, what can I do to support you, rather than there being no clarity of, of what they need to do within their role and then it makes it really hard to hold someone accountable. You said earlier, what was it that I got out of them, but it was exactly that. So from my perspective, it highlighted the people that were invested in themselves and who wanted to involve, you know, and who actually wanted to be part of the future versus those that just didn't. They were just turning up. They didn't even, some people didn't even have any idea. And so it allowed us to weed out those people very, very quickly. That is completely converted the way that I thought about what that SSC program. It really did. And it only took a month. It only took the first month and I was right there. And I, I really think there. the other thing to add to that is it showed the people that were willing to commit to that change. And that was the biggest thing for me looking at it was I was able to see the people who knew that they weren't maybe doing what they should be doing and they were willing to adapt and change with what we were doing and the people who just weren't and they didn't want to change and, you know, they just were looking at this as just, oh, it's a paycheck and I get there nine till five every day. Georgia, it's such a good point. And again, it goes back to accountability. So if people don't have clarity of expectation, it is really hard to hold them accountable because they don't really know what they're meant to be doing. So until we set that up, we've not actually given someone the opportunity to show that they want to step up to the challenge. So with what you were saying, Georgia, there's some people who maybe weren't performing, but then did it and showed that they really wanted to take it on. And again, it empowered them to self-subscribe to high performance. They knew what it looked like to be a high performing team member, and they were willing to take it on to do it. And something that we've seen, and I see this across all different industries that I work with, with the self-subscription commitments, and I've seen it in your organization, is sometimes someone sets a metric and you're you're in your head thinking there is no way that you're going to get to that. But you know what? They've said it and they've put it in there. And if they fall short of it, that's fine, especially if they've aimed high. It makes someone want to push so much more. And as a manager, it shows you, okay, these are the people that are really in this and these are the people that are going to go above and beyond. And even if they don't quite get there, if they set it higher than we expect them to, then that's an indicator right there that this is a high-performing team member. This is someone that wants to commit. And you make such a good point there because we've had so many of the team members that I sit across and that I review, they're pushing up, like they're evolving that SSC constantly, mm. even before we do the six-month review. So it's incredible to watch how those the, the role that those SSCs actually play. Yeah. It's brilliant. It empowers them. That empowerment, like, I obviously am the emotional creative in the room, but I was sitting in <laughs> on one of my team members' SSCs, and she will kill me if I name drop who she is, so I'm not going to do it. But the way that she has evolved in the last 12 months, I cannot rave about how far that she's come enough. Like, I am so proud, and I sit in these meetings, and I watch her present to clients, and I see how excited and passionate she is now, and it, like – it's so heartwarming and it's so nice to see that she's been able to find that spark and find that passion. And I 100% put it down to this SSC program because she's able to see herself what she wants to achieve and she's achieving it. And mm. like at the start, I think there was a little bit of apprehension around taking on this kind of program, especially with who I'm talking about. But now like she's fully embraced it and she is 
overperforming every single month. And like for me to see someone like that who, you know, she started out in a very different role than what she is now and where she's developed to is just Oh my God, I just, I can't rave about how proud of her I am. And I honestly believe that this SSC is like a huge piece of that. Yeah, I do too. I think it's been brilliant for the staff. Really I know exactly who you're talking about, Georgia. And I actually have goosebumps listening to you talking. And I just want to take on something that you said and add to it. And, and, and you said, you know, she's achieving, but she's, she's doing so much more than that. And she, She's overachieving and she's yeah. she's pushing so hard and she's challenging you in some of the stuff that she's putting in there, Georgia. And I think as well she's she's pushed you to grow within your role because she's raised the bar as well. And I remember because we recently did our round of six-month check-ins with everyone on the team and I remember saying to you after the session, Georgia, I was like, oh, my God, she's a different person. I know. The first session she came in and I think she was actually shaking under the table. Yes. And I don't think I'm a very scary person, but I think she was so worried coming in and she was like a different person in this next in this next check-in and she was, you know, we were going through and seeing how she had tracked on stuff and she was like, oh, yeah, done that and we've changed that to this and done that and we've changed that to this and, oh, we don't even do that anymore. We're doing this high level now and she was just pushing the bar and it was so good to see. Yeah, 100%. And, like, now – I was saying to Dubs the other day, it's not only that I'm so proud of her for the work that she does every day, I'm also so proud of where she can go in the future. And if she left us tomorrow, I know that she would be prepared and ready and able to take on her own team and and new jobs and be able to walk into any business with authority. And that's what I want for all of my team. You know, like I, I want to make sure that they're not just set up for success with us, but also set, set up for success in the future too. And I'm also realistic, like I would love my team to stay together forever, but that's never going to happen. So I want to make sure that they are these perfect little, uh, you know, gems that you find. And I really think that she's developed into that, that gem, that diamond. But I've always said I always want people to be able to go out and say I worked at the media precinct and our competitors say that's why they're like they are. Mm. That's what I've always wanted. Yes, I love that. And and these these documents, because it puts the ownership on the team member, it means that they can go somewhere else and push the bar for what's expected of them. And even if they go somewhere else and they're given KPIs, they're going to be in the mindset of I can push higher yeah. and further than this. And, and it makes me think of, I'm going to butcher it, but I think it's Richard Branson who always says, Treat your people so that they want to stay forever, but train them so that they can go anywhere. And I remember you said that to me, Glenda, when we first met. You know, I'd love people to stay, but I want to be known in the industry that if people go somewhere else to a competitor and say, this is where I've come from, that they take them on no questions asked because you've got that reputation of building such high-performing team members. Dubs makes a really good point about, you know, like the whole scenario that we're currently living in. But what do you think the biggest impact has been with COVID on managing different teams? I think it's pushed managers and leaders and organizations to really have to think about their team and think about what they need beyond a computer and a desk and, you know, an email address. I think it's really pushed them to you know, think about how they can engage with their team members outside of set team meetings and how they can 
support them in ways that they might feel like they're usually doing by just being in the office with them. So, and I'm, I'm not saying it's a perfect world. I know that there's a lot of organizations that have really struggled and I think everyone's just doing the best that they can. Oh, but everyone struggled. I, I honestly believe everyone struggled. Like there's, there is yeah. no perfect scenario in this. Like, and I also think like there's, there's also no like guidebook, <laughs> you know, like everything else we've pretty much been prepared for, you know, like if there's a clashing team member, like yeah okay it's really annoying but that's happened before but there's never been a pandemic that we've had to focus on like this do you know what I found really interesting in LinkedIn we did a lunch swap so we had we put money in the bank account of all of our team members they were given a name of of somebody to buy lunch for and then they bought they organized lunch and we all came together and had lunch over Skype or Zoom or whatever it was and that image that we had that someone took a screenshot and sent it to me and it was the most liked it was the most viewed post I have done in years no offense Coop, with all of our podcasts but it was actually <laughs> the it was actually the most gauged image and it went global and it was just incredible the number of people that actually appreciated that we were doing that and because I shared it as an idea for people and we've just concluded our breakfast sessions with team members as well. But what are some of the things that people are doing to actually bring their teams together that you've heard of? Yeah, and just to go back, I I loved that post and it made me so happy to see and and what I loved about it was that it wasn't a team meeting. It wasn't about business. It was just about people. It was like, let's just connect and have a chat like we would if we were sitting around in the office. And if I were to divide between the organizations that I've seen, yeah, Georgia, you're right, everyone struggled. But if I'm to divide between the ones that have struggled but fared well versus the ones that have really struggled, it's those extra things that they're doing. You know, Friday afternoon drinks or lunch swaps or, you know, buddy check-in calls where it's not about the work, it's just about the people. Interestingly enough, sharing that my background's in the fitness industry, my brother works for Airtasker, actually. And at the beginning of lockdown last year, he he called me and he said, we're looking for some stuff to do that's just some fun team stuff. Can you run some PT sessions for us? And, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. And we've been doing that. We're still doing it now. Probably, I think we started in March last year. So we're going on 18 months of that. And it is so much fun and we do we do games and challenges and they you know there's great banter and it's just so much fun and they hassle each other to get on and just you know little things like that where you know they don't have to be doing that and they don't have to be spending the money on that but it's it's invaluable and you can't put a number to it but I can guarantee that it impacts engagement and people's willingness to you know, go above and beyond and do all of those extra little things because they feel cared for. Yeah. And I think the really great thing that we've done and not we, I'm just pulling myself into it. G-dubs you've done is the breakfasts because even though like we've asked the team, like, what do you like for breakfast? Like, what do you want? You've actually gone out of your way to get people like actual stock standard groceries as well. Like things for things of coffee and like tea for people who don't drink coffee and, you know, all of those champagne. champagne. I only had one sit there and drink the champagne in the morning. But, but, you know, like all those little things really add up for people. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a nice touch that has been 
like a, a really good value add. And when I look at it, like the investment that we've put into this, obviously it's a lot of money, right? But when I think about all of the different lunches that we used to do and going out with different clients and all of that kind of thing, it, it must kind of even out that that value and that experience that we've got and now the engagement out of that team, like I, I just think it's so valuable past just the investment point. And do you know what I think? thought it was really good at the, the breakfast? Because I bring three or four staff members together and we just have breakfast together. Some of them have cooked their breakfast in front of me and others have got their kids involved and, and it's been a really it's been really lovely the, the way it's worked and it's been quite organic and people have got excited about their groceries that are being delivered and it's been all sorts of head stress. I'm not ever doing it again. But anyway it's been pretty cool. I think as well Glenda like this is something that you've gone above and beyond to do during lockdown, but I've been in your office where I've come out of a SSC meeting with someone and there's all of this beautiful lunch on the table and you're blessed with where your office is that there's the most amazing food around. And I remember I came out and I said, oh, what's this? And you said, everyone wasn't sure what they wanted to have for lunch, so we just ordered some stuff. And it felt like a little family lunch and we all sat there and ate and just for 15 minutes everyone got out of their work head and just had a chat. And I think that's something that you you had already and you've just taken it to that next level during lockdown. Your people feel cared for when you do those little things that you don't have to do, but it's that nice little extra that lets someone know, okay, I really feel cared for. They didn't have to do that, but they've done it and it feels really nice. And again, this is goes back to culture. You know, you're building that from the top, but then everyone becomes a part of building that. Mm. Jess, you know, the reverse of all of this is as we go back into the office, some people will feel stress about that as well. Mm. You know, the stress of people working from home, but it's also the, the stress of actually, oh my gosh, I'm going to expose myself to people again. Yeah. What do you do? Like I did a first aid course in mental health mm. last year. Yeah. What do you actually do to help people? Because it's difficult. It, it really is. And, and I love those mental health first aid courses. I think they're absolutely brilliant. And again, not, not to sound like I'm repeating myself, but it's, it's asking people what they need, right? It's asking them what they need and then letting them know you're here to support them. And if you feel comfortable, great. If not, then we can ease back into it. So I think there's no one right way to do it, but I think if you underlie everything that you do with supporting people and checking in and asking them what they need, then I think you really can't go you can't go wrong. I actually have a colleague of mine that is about to launch a program called Work Forward and it's all about how do we transition back into back into the workplace and it's such relevant conversations because we're not returning to the the world that we were in before. Yeah. It's a totally different world. And I think the sooner we realize that and the sooner we adapt to that, the better we're going to fare post all of this in whatever the new world looks like. And you know what? The new world is going to be molded by everyone coming back. It's not just going to be this is set and this is what it is. It's going to be a collaborative approach. And I think that the, the organizations that will fare the best, I think that's how they'll view it. And I was having the same conversation this morning with a client of ours, I was saying to her that I've refused to invest in any at-home office supplies at all. I, I have a cardboard box that my laptop sits on, on top of and I have my keyboard from the office and a mouse and I sit on my dining table or on my lounge and I do my work. And she was saying to me that my lack of willingness to adapt to this new world 
is only going to hurt me moving forward because I still have to figure out how I can work from home or one day a week in the office or, you know, as we go back, it's not going to be October 17th, we're all back in the office right away. You know, like there's still going to have to be that graduation of people moving in to the office and moving through. And it's so funny because when she said that to me, I was like, oh, girl, now I'm going to have to go and buy a stand-up desk or something. (laughs) Like I've got to be willing to keep this going. But, yeah, no, it's it's so funny to hear you say that because you're right. Like we're not going back to what we are used to. And um, when she said that to me, I was like, like I didn't want to accept it, but, you know, you just have to. It's such a good story and I think there's power in acceptance and it makes me think of Nick, who I mentioned earlier, my mentor. She wrote a brilliant blog post the other day and Nick's a really positive person and she's the most resilient person I've ever met and she talked about how she's always glass half full but at the moment there's been holes in her glass and she talked about that it was because it was oh they're going to open the borders they're going to stop lockdown we're going to be finished and she was always sitting there waiting for it and she said that as soon as she came to terms with this is just how we're going to be everything, it felt like a weight off her shoulders. So I think, Georgia, I totally get it. And I think that, you know, you're not alone in thinking this is temporary. I'm not going to buy anything because it's not going to be like this. But I think there's also power in accepting that things are never going to be the way that they were before. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I think it's about just embracing and then doing what you're comfortable with. And then when you're comfortable to do more, you do more. Do you know what I mean? You might just start with a a screen or a chair or a, you know, <laughs> oh maybe gosh. a bigger cardboard box that you can stand at. <laughs> See, I, I miss the office, but I actually had to go and get set up properly at home. I couldn't stand it. I missed my printer. I missed everything. So I had to actually go and make sure I had it there. Otherwise, it was just going to do my head in. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, that's what, so Caroline, who I was talking to this morning, that's what she said. She She's at the osteo every week, she said this morning, because even though she's gone out and bought a desk chair and a standing desk and all this extra equipment, it's still not the same. And she was saying like, you know, even though I've had to invest all this and she owns her own business, um, in her own business that she, now she has to work from home and, you know, all of her staff members as well, moving forward, she's actually looking at at it as like, okay, it's an opportunity for me to any days that I just really need to get shit done, I can just work from home and get shit done. And if I want to go into the office, I can, but if I have something on, I don't have to. And, you know, there is some positivity about the flexibility that we're moving into as well. Yeah, I think it's empowered us. And I think, Glenda, I love that you were sort of saying, I needed my printer and I needed this and I needed that. Because if anything, it just carries on the frustration of being at home when you don't have what you need, when the reality is you're going to be at home. And it's so funny, my um, my dad runs his own business, he's an engineer, and he has probably about a, on a good day, a 20-minute commute, on a bad day, an hour and a half commute into the city. And I've said to him for years, Dad, why don't you just work from home a couple of days? You won't waste time commuting in, you'll get so much more done. And he was like, no, can't. And probably, you know, Glenda, it was that view of that's not how it was when I was growing up. You show up in the office every day and, you know, your shirt and your suit pants and everything and he's been forced to do it now and he's like I'm getting so much done I don't know why I didn't do this earlier and I'm like I've been telling you this for so long (laughs) told you so there's power in just embracing it I think oh I don't know I've got dogs and a daughter and a husband to deal with at home 
gets a bit difficult sometimes. I did sneak into the office the other day and I, I found it, you know, it was wonderful. It's actually really peaceful now whenever I get to go in there by myself. I get to just like, it's zen. It's absolute zen. I get to have the music up as loud as I want. I can listen to whatever I want. I don't have to listen to people saying, turn that off. It's, <laughs> you know, like, but it's actually really nice just to get into your own space again. But God, I miss it. I think there's a lesson there as well that it's going to feel different for us when we come back in the office. You know, Glenda, you're saying, oh, I've got dogs at home and a, you know, a partner and kids and stuff. Do you know what? You've got five times as much as that in the office. So we just, we're just used to what we're used to. So I think it'll be interesting that, you know, as much as people say, I don't like working from home, I feel disconnected and, you know, it feels a bit lonely or a bit quiet. It's going to feel different when we go back into the office because, again, it's going to be something that we're not used to, just like that transition. But it's so weird because, like, even when – because the – the two of us have been in the office just coincidentally one day, COVID safe, COVID safe. Um, and while we were there, just the, hearing someone else tap on the keyboard around me was such a strange feeling. Like yeah. it was so odd because I'm so used to now being at home and like I either work out of my room or on the couch or something and my flatmate's working there as well, but he's he's a data analyst. So, you know, he's pretty quiet most of the day. And for me to hear someone else like talking on the phone and tapping on the keyboard, I was like, can you just please be quiet? Like I, I'm not I'm not used to having to share this space. Hype softer, Glenda. <laughs> exactly. And it's such an interesting point, Georgia. And I think it goes back to the fact that we're not returning to the same place that we left. Mm. Mm. Now, Jess, you have been such a terrific guest. Thank you. You always keep me on my toes. <laughs> You really do. And thank you for sharing so much of your knowledge with the audience today because I think our listeners will get a hell of a lot out of you. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking with the two of you. So thank you for thank you for having me and for the good chats and the tough questions. Amazing. Of course. Now to our listeners, if you want to get in touch with Jess, we'll put her contact details in our bio. As always, you can contact GW via very own Richard Turner or RT as we call him. We'll also put his link in our bio too. Keep safe and listen out for anyone that is struggling. It's really important that we sort of hang in there. So thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. 